For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Next Podcast. I'm Matthew Miranda, joined as always very soon. He's just having some Wi-Fi issues, but Stacey Pat will be here as always. Um, there is a lot to talk about today in the Nick universe. Um, it has been a very roller coaster couple of nights emotionally. Uh, <laughs> after just after the loss on Sunday to the Raptors, I found myself writing a recap that was quickly becoming like a a Tom Thibodeau obituary. And then after last night's win, I am basically ready to go to war with anyone that would ever trade Julius Randle ever. So Stacy is here. <laughs> Stacy, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, what's up, Benji? Excellent. What's up, Matt? Stacy is giving away the guest before I introduce them, but that's okay. <laughs> Let me read the ad and then we will oh, give I a know, I know we're alive. <laughs> you know, we're, we're on the air right now. Um, this is how epic our conversations, guys, are. We, we talk the same way offline as we do online. So. Uh, this, we is our, consistent. Um, this is why I gave you the silent salute, Stacey, when you signed on. <laughs> oh, that would give you the hint. <laughs> so let's get the formalities out of the way. Um, Bet Online, you may have heard of them, remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from the NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball. UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards betonline.ag where the game starts. I have no idea what the .ag is ever for. It always makes me think of like agriculture and I'm sure that's not it, but BetOnline maybe, maybe. BetOnline. Borges would be proud of that. BetOnline.ag where the game starts and where the World Cup trophy resides. Now, as far as today's guest, this is a very exciting day for the Believe Knicks podcast. Our guest covers the Knicks for both Nick Film School and occasionally for the Strickland. He starred as a baller at Yeshiva University. <laughs> and I believe, is this true that you are, are you also a coach there alongside Mike Sweetney? Are you friends with Mike Sweetney? I know Mike Sweetney. Uh, he, he, I left the year before I think he joined the staff, but I'm still um, involved and in touch with the coaching staff. So I do know Mike. I wouldn't necessarily call his friends, um, but he's an awesome guy. So, Mike, happy to introduce Nick Film School, Strickland contributor, Yeshiva legend, and Mike Sweetney, BFF, Ben <laughs> Ridholtz. Ben, welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? Man, with that introduction, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm as connected as they come, you know, in the NBA world. Um, great to be here uh, with uh, with you two. Um, 
you guys are both great. So I'm excited to, to get into it. I have questions for Ben. Stacey, I'm sure you do too. Where would you like to start the conversation? Um, I do have a lot of questions. Um, I did have one I didn't want to forget. But remind me to come back. There is a special request from uh, the artist currently known as Shunipu. Um, but I'll save that for later in the pod. Um, Benji, I, I want to start. Um, I want you know, just it's been a it's been an interesting stretch for the Knicks. They've been a very streaky team. Yesterday was arguably the biggest win of the season. I think I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, it, so tell me, you know, just general, you know, pulse checking. Where are you at on this team? Oof, that's a tough question to answer. Um, where am I at on this team? I think that overall I am happy and satisfied with where this team currently is. Uh, I think the offensive output has been a tremendous surprise um, overall, despite the frustrations sometimes with the offense. I think you... I uh, have to recognize that this team is top seven now, top eight in offensive output. That was not what was expected going into the year. I don't think if you asked anybody, uh, they would have predicted such a such a ranking. And so I, I, I think uh, really happy about that. I think really looking big picture, I think you have to be happy about the Brunson signing. I think that was huge. I think it's made uh, all the difference culturally for this team. I think um, you have a guy who you know uh, can consistently be a high-level contributor from the point guard spot, something the Knicks haven't had in a very long time. And um, despite some recent struggles, I think, like, big picture, that's probably the biggest takeaway. And then Julius Randle's resurgence, I think, again, big picture, like, this was one of the worst players in the league last year. Um, I don't think that's controversial to say, based on his usage and his inefficiency and defensive issues. And to see... What he's done so far this season and rebounded, um, rebounded to being a good, a good pun, yeah. Uh, guys like pulling down 15, 16 a game. Uh, he's been fantastic, and from those two aspects, I think you have to be you have to be pretty pretty happy. Uh, it has been very up and down. The Mitch injury is a little scary. The upcoming schedule is a little scary, but overall, like just a general pulse and coming off a big win, like you said, probably the biggest of the year. Pretty satisfied. What do you see as kind of a so I guess with let's let's talk about the Mitch injury as well. Uh Matt, definitely curious to your thoughts too. Um so the Knicks have gone through a little bit of downstretch now. They're twenty six and twenty-three. Um and you know, teams like Indiana are not going away, teams like Miami are not going away. Um, who knows what's gonna happen with Toronto? But um I think what seemed, you know, when the Knicks were, you know, five, six games over 500, what seemed like, you know, the sixth seed was a really good bet now feels a little less. So and the, the Mitch injury and this tough stretch coinciding are, are uh, not uh, great. I, I guess the, the question is, does this kind of change your expectations at all for the season? Cause I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, if you look at it before the Cavs game, I always thought that five and seven would be tough in like the next stretch of 12 games. I don't know if you've looked at the schedule. I'm happy to read it through, but curious if like you're, you know, you, you give maybe Tibbs and by extension, the front office a little bit more slack knowing that, you know, they just had this brutal stretch coming with, you know, they had rock, the Mitch is out um, quickly has been banged up. Um, obviously, you know, you, th- there's just a lack of depth because of, trades that people are that they're waiting to go in on but i'm curious if um how much how much slack you cut the front office tibs and the team in light of that 
all of that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, even when they were five, six games over um, and you th- considered some of the luck they ran into in terms of teams they played without their their stars, um, the game in Denver is like the first one that comes to mind, which they never would win <laughs> if Jokic played. They just never win there. Um, Bones playing and, so- and he's their best player. <laughs> a Stacy special right there. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, they got, they did get some luck along the way. And then um, I, again, like Miami, I think in that six slot, I think they're coming around in the way a lot of guy people, I think, expected them to. And just from yeah. a talent perspective and kind of like the established teams, I always thought those would be the top six. It looks, it is shaping up that way again. Uh, so even when they were five, six games over, understanding the schedule uh, was going to get tougher and where Miami, I thought, would probably end up. I, I wouldn't have bet on the six seed, uh, although I thought there was a better chance than I do now. And with the Mitch injury, yeah, I think you do cut some slack because I think Mitch has proven himself to be, um, if you know, uh, arguably the most important Nick based on the on off data. Um, he has been consistently really good this year really just a couple of games that come to mind where he didn't show up or got got severely outplayed by the opposing five but generally has been an offensive rebounding beast he's been their defensive anchor he's they rely on him as we've seen in his absence they rely on him a whole lot in terms of their defensive structure and the way they play um and so yeah, I you know I look at this stretch now going into the All Star break and and I, I did look at the schedule. I don't remember all the teams offhand, but I think you have to look at it. And this is one of the reasons the Cle- this Cleveland one was so big. They're three games over now. I think if you can get into the All Star break over five hundred, I think you have to be pretty happy with that. Looking realistically at the games coming up without your starting center, um, and that Cleveland win I think gave them some leeway there. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think you know you have to look at the. You have to look at the injury and, and understand the value that guy provides, especially with the way they play. And I think cut a little bit of slack, not, you know, no, no excuses, but at the same time, kind of just a holistic view of, of the games coming up. And kind of on, on the Mitchell Robinson note, right? I know, you know, he's a player that, especially in offense, um, you among many others have been critical of in the past. Um, you know, do you think that he's playing significantly better than he, I think last year at the end, he was a little bit better than at the beginning. I think no one was happy with how he started the season last year. Um, you know, would you say that there's been improvements in his game? Cause to me, it, it looks like, you know, it looks like the offensive rebounding was there. It seems like he's even more dominant. Um, it seems like, and, and I think another question, and sorry, this is turning into like a whole thing, but like, I'm also curious, like how much you think he's being helped by playing with better point of attack defenders? Cause you know, there were times last year when he, when you were playing him with Kemba Walker, Derek Rose, it's like, Oh, this guy has no mobility and drop magically. He's playing with Quinn Grimes or, or quickly getting over that screen. And Hey, Mitch doesn't look so immobile and drop. Right. So I'd be curious to say, you know, how much of that is his improvement versus um you know just kind of the situation around him getting better in your eyes and um and if you think he's made any other improvements i mean his free throw shooting still sucks but like i think his form looks a little bit better than last year i think he like they're like it's very baby steps and after four years I'm, i totally understand people are like too little too late but you know he's catching the ball sometimes and taking a dribble he's weirdly mm-hmm. had a couple of good assist games 
Um, but um, but yeah, someone who I think has been pretty measured on Mitch in the past. I'm curious as to if you think he's improved or if the situation around him is allowing the pop or a mix of those things. Or yeah, I think both. I think both. I th- and and you mentioned his passing, and <laughs> it's never going to be um, you know Jokic or Sabonis or even Hartenstein out there. But that said, like the improvements, uh, I think have been pretty notable and important. Uh, where he's not like you can rely on him even just in terms of who he's kicking out to off of those offensive rebounds and kind of right. using some smarts and and um directing the pass correctly and and setting up easier looks i mean you look at the numbers his assist percentage is way up his uh and his assist usage is way up so like the the numbers do support that now of course it's coming from like the the seller of assist percentages in the league but nonetheless you like to see improvement there the offensive rebounding is even better than it was last year. It was amazing last year. It's even more elite this year. I do think that has to do with situation also. I think by adding Jalen Brunson, you've added one of the most um, frequent floater shooters in the league, and those floaters um, produce a lot of those offensive rebounds when Kobe the big assists, has to come right? out. Yeah, they're Kobe assists, right? The, 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 the big has to come out to challenge that floater because Brunson's really good at them. And then the ball comes off soft and there's Mitch coming from underneath and he's in that dunker spot ready. Uh, and so I do think that's been helpful for him. Um, but yes, I have seen improvement. He's gotten a bit more ambitious. Like you mentioned, I think a couple of one dribble moves, a little bit of a post and it's actually reflected in a poorer field goal percentage um, <laughs> yeah. this year. But I, I don't, you know, I don't look at that as he's not finishing as well. I look at that as he's just being a bit more ambitious. And I think that's overall a good thing. So um yeah, I think both. And then on defensively, I, I thought second half of the year last year he was moving, he was moving well. You know, I think uh, he started really slow and looked kind of immobile. And I think he kind of played himself into shape and eventually looked looked mostly like himself. And this year, it's I think looked even better uh, just athletically and and in terms of his mobility. But I 100% agree with you. I think. Man, you can expose a center when you have. I mean, look at Rudy Gobert with Utah in the playoffs the last couple of years, where um, you have bad point of attack defense. You're going to expose a big who who, who isn't Bam out of bio, like can switch out and be mm-hmm. as mobile as a guy like that, who's like you know general seven footer who is going to have some limitations in terms of side to side mobility. You put you put out a bunch of sieves on the perimeter. It's going to expose that center. So I do think. Having Grimes out there consistently and quickly, the, another defensive leap he's taken this year, and having those deuce minutes instead of God Kemba and Fournier and uh, the and even you know, Rose really at this point, you know, and he absolutely Rose, yeah, and even saw that earlier this year with Rose. Um, definitely makes a difference, and it's it's reflected uh, positively on him as well. So you heard it here first, guys. Benji does not think we should have gotten Donovan Mitchell because he wouldn't have worked with with Rudy and, and Drop. Right, Brunson was the right call. Is that Swin's question for me? Or is no, that no, no, no. Swin's question is much better and more nuanced. That was me trolling, by the way. That's not what Benji uh, said. Yeah, look. Um, you know, I'm struck hearing you talk about Mitch and these improvements that he's made. That and there's a lot of factors that go into this. It's like two years ago, you know, the Knicks took off at a point when Robinson went down basically for the year with injury, but that had a lot to do with Derek Rose arrived like at that yeah. point and was an enormous contributor. Nerlens Noel had a tremendous season um, coming off the bench, but it's striking to me that just two years ago, Mitch went down and the season was, was able to take off from there. And now at this point, when Mitch goes down, like nobody is expecting that. Like you're just hoping to like stay afloat while he's gone, which I think is also really, really, really um, 
positive given that this has come after he signed a contract extension. It's not someone who signed his deal and then, you know, pissed off into some other state of mind. Like it really seems to matter to him. <laughs> um, I'm curious because the show is getting entirely too positive, Ben. Um, what would be some season long, what have been surprising season long traits or trends that you're concerned about? Like we know coming in about things that have been better than expected. What has been not what you expected coming into the season? Anything? It's a great question. Um, I, you know, it's funny cause I, I'm gen, I, I generally think this guy's had a great season and I think overall I, I, I take the improvements he's made as a overall positive I did think Emmanuel quickly was going to yeah. have a big time shooting season. I just kind of yeah. thought he would, um, and it's not too late, and it might come. Um, but do you but see it, anything there that concerns? Like, do you see anything in terms of is he rushing shots? Is it the yeah. kind of shots he's taking? No, you know, he's it's not so dropping. Crazy. Doesn't uh, you know? I, I I can't say I've like slowed it down and looked mechanically at the. It doesn't look any different to me just from the mm-hmm. naked eye. Um, he took a shot, you know, it, it really struck me last night. He took one of his rookie year shots where he came down and maybe the Knicks had like a three on two or it was pretty even mad, but it was like semi-transition and he just like pulled from 30 mm. and his rookie year. I loved that shot because he seemed yep. to make so many of them that drove Cleveland, you know, drove the opposition into a timeout <laughs> and he's just not making them. Like they're just not going this year. And I, it's hard to explain or understand. Uh, is it a confidence thing? I don't know. Uh, and, and it could just be one of these like sample size things where eventually it, it comes around again. But um, in terms, just like in terms of like a surprising non-development or a frustration. Yeah. Uh, and again, Overall, I've loved everything about his play this year, other than I wish he was making more shots. Um, so that's been a bit surprising. And honestly, in terms of Grimes as well, I'm still waiting because I, I think it's coming. I'm waiting for the three-point explosion. Yeah. Because, like, he's shooting whatever he is, 36 37%, which is fine and good enough, and I still love the quick decisions, and I've loved the improvement getting to the rim, and the drop-off passing that he's developed this year has been awesome to see and, like, really grease the wheels of the offense in a, in a really nice way. But – I think that guy's a 40% three point shooter and I'm just like yeah. waiting, waiting for the, for the explosion to come where he's making, you know, he makes like the Milwaukee game where he made eight that first yeah. time he got like one of those games and he just hasn't quite had them yet. And, and like the, the one big critique you have to have about the team is they haven't shot the ball well. Um, and, and the fact that their offense has, has performed as it has, despite their shooting struggles, I think is a credit to, to a lot of different things, but um yeah, those two guys not shooting the ball quite as well as I would have thought, I think, are frustrations. Um, and then I would say RJ's passing and RJ's defense, two elements yeah. of RJ's game. Um, because I think as a scorer, he's made a lot of meaningful improvements. I don't think they've been like um, drastic, but I think basically across the board, he's improved as a scorer from every area on the floor, which you love to see. Uh, I just thought uh, he'd take another step as a playmaker this year, and it just hasn't really come to fruition. And although I think it's been better and I thought it was actually particularly at least on ball was very good last night. And he had a ch- tough challenge with Garland mm-hmm. and he thought he did a very good job with that matchup. And I thought the couple of plays he made on Mitchell late were also big. Um, so he had a good game. It's gotten better the last couple of weeks, but his defense, especially to start the year was pretty terrible. And that that's been disappointing as well. I mean, you praise this work on Twitter too, right? So <laughs> Prez, Prez was so mad at me. He's like, I didn't watch the game. That's like, that's actual Prez bait. Like you had, I thought I was going to see the good footwork. <laughs> and then I see a dude falling over on his face. Just yeah. the Prez tease there. Yeah, um, exactly. 
I, I think that's pretty spot on. And um, it's also worth noting that not only are Grimes and quickly shooting worse than they were last season from three, the three-point attempt rate is actually down. Uh, Grimes took 12 three-point attempts per 100 last year. That's down to 8.9. Um, and I, I mean, I also kind of wonder, you would be able to speak more to this Benji than I would because, you know, you have much more experience playing at a high level. I wonder if, and, and quickly three point attempt rate has decreased both years too. I wonder if they're hesitant to take those shots or if they're coached to have better shot selection, you know, is that hesitancy not only removing some of those attempts they might make? Cause I've also noticed he doesn't take those 30 footers anymore. Um, unless it's usually the only time he takes those are if it's a two for one, two for one. Yeah. Uh, the Q for one. Yeah. 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 Um, which, and uh, I, you always can remember it because you're going to see him take that shot and then you're going to hear Mike Green say, I don't know if it's really worth it if you don't get a good <laughs> shot every time. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, so kind of on that note, do you think that's kind of a thing that if, and I'm not, this is not a blame tips thing, but at some point it, it like the way quickly played, you probably did want to rein that in a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think you want to rein Quentin Grimes in at all because of his release, just being basically contest agnostic. But is that maybe a thing that like, because they're, you know, they're not as free, to shoot maybe, or because they're trying to work the ball to the better options they have that could affect shooting at all, or, you know, from your experience. Um, yeah, you know, with Grimes, it's interesting. I think some of it, um, can be attributed to him. Like it, it's actually a positive thing. Cause his, his rim percentage has gone way up. Like he's getting yeah. to the rim a ton more than he did last. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I just know I, I've looked it up. Like he, he has traded some three-point attempts for attacking those closeouts, and I think that's been an, a, a, mostly an effective uh, kind of distribution or, or redistribution of his, of his looks. And so I, I don't necessarily look at that as a negative. That said, there have been times in recent games where I felt like, man, you just got to shoot the ball. You just got to shoot the ball. Like you're in there to shoot the ball off a swing. And like, I love how you're attacking closeouts and it usually comes to, comes to a good thing, but like he gets one travel a game on, on, on that catch and go. And <laughs> you're not often going to get a better shot than a Quentin Grimes three, even on the attack. So I, I do agree with you. I, and uh, in terms of like, whether I think they've been described, I really don't think so because if anything, I've seen so many times that Randall has yelled at both of them for not shooting right away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I've heard Tibbs in several press conferences say we were too hesitant uh, on the catch and shoot. Uh, he gets on quickly all the time about that. Uh, even in game, you can see him yelling at quickly when he pumps out of a three. Um, and so uh, I don't think it's that. I think probably with quickly, it's just a bit of a loss of confidence if I had to guess um, because he – you know, it's been a couple of years now since he's like felt like that rookie year shoot. He was great shooting the ball. It hasn't really translated yet. And after that, and then with Grimes, I think it's more of just like um, he's shifted his game a little bit. I think in a mostly positive direction. Cool. For those interested, um, Clinton Grimes last year took nine percent of his shots from zero to three feet. This year, that's up to twenty-five. Yeah, like you're saying, like a significant, Almost significant. Simple. Yeah. Um, and he's actually um, shooting even better at the rim. So. Yeah. So two questions that are kind of possibly related, but um, one is the Knicks, hopefully, you know, they get Mitch back and they're able to finish this year, like maybe somewhere in the, in the mid forties in terms of wins, maybe like low to mid forties. Question one is what do you think is the most obvious area of, of addressing 
there's, there's obviously multiple, but, but like the difference between a 40 and 50 win team, like what's the next thing that you would be looking for either in terms of personnel, like a type of player who is not on the team now that you would like to see, or would it mean getting leaps from quickly and Grimes or seeing the Knicks improve at passing? This is still not like a, a great passing team. Is there anything that when you're watching this team and you're thinking about, okay, if they really want to take the next step forward, is it coaching? Like what what is something that to you is obviously, okay, if you guys want to level up, here's what you want to, if you were the Knicks consultant, here's what you want to look at to level up. Are you asking with the current personnel or or personnel included, like changes? Could be personnel. Whatever you think is the whatever you yeah. think is the most. Here's a here's the easiest way for us to to make sure we're going up a notch. Right. Yeah. I, I would say. Look, I think they know they know this. Um, it's it's interesting. It's I look at the roster. It's got it's a very interesting roster because they have. Um, I would say. With Grimes, Quickly, and Mitch specifically, three pretty elite role players already, and I think Grimes still has to grow a little bit to get there because he's, you know, he's. I think he's hit a little bit of a sophomore wall here too, and I think you have to keep in mind. And I meant to say this earlier that he hasn't even played a full season of basketball yet at the NBA level, and you wonder if there's fatigue setting in. You wonder if um, his defense are, has are, been noticeably. I think it was good bit. yesterday, yeah. but it was. It's not up to a standard the last few games. Yeah, and you just wonder. I mean, it's, it's the dog days before the All Star break, and he's played a lot of minutes, and, and and the whole team has really. So you have to take that into account when you're analyzing these games specifically. But um, you know, I think it, it's a team that has the infrastructure, and then if they had like consistent star production. And that's obviously what they're looking for, and it's a it's a it's a obvious answer. But like the most fifty win teams have that consistent star with the built around the infrastructure around to support that star. And the Knicks have kind of it's funny they've built the infrastructure to support the star. They have kind of certainly Julius is an inconsistent star, and sometimes and when Julius gets to that star level, it, it, you see a game like last night, right, where it's like it all kind of makes sense. <laughs> right when Julius is really struggling, or and, and Brunson doesn't have that kind of star night. And I don't think Brunson's a star night tonight. I think there there are nights where he'll look like one. There are nights where he'll be more like a really solid piece. Yeah, um, it just doesn't all make sense. Like it, the the shot distribution gets kind of wonky, and it just like it doesn't quite fit. And and so it's it's a funny roster. Like so, I think the obvious answer is you get replace Julius with like a real consistent star. I think you immediately upgrades that 50, 50 win level. Cause I think the infrastructure around is really good. And then I think internally, I think it really like comes down to RJ. Um, because <laughs> if, if RJ becomes what I think we all think he can be, which is, you know, like at worst or an excellent, excellent three and D role player. And at best, like a borderline all-star, I think we're looking at an entirely different outlook. Like he is the swing factor. Assuming we don't get that star. I don't know if we do or we don't, but like you can probably get to a 50 win team with the guys they have now, if RJ makes a real leap, right. And probably on both sides of the ball, Uh, because otherwise, you know, I think Julius is as good as he's going to be. I think Brunson is close to as good as he's going to be. I think he's, I think they're, you know, I think he's improved some things already this year uh, in terms of his off the dribble shooting and stuff like that. So I don't want to say that he's like capped, but I don't think he's going to get like much better than he's been this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Grimes and Quickly are both 
really good now, can continue to get better. Um, but I think like RJ is like the farthest away from what he could potentially be. And I think that's kind of the swing factor here in terms of the, you know, medium term success getting to a 50 win level. I think that's probably where I'd go. Okay. And related to that, and this became a topic um, among the, the Strickland Slack channel earlier today. So I am an admitted, like, I, I love Randall probably more than most people do. Um, I can be a bit irrational about it, but I admit it. I like him a lot. Um, I am finding myself in conflict with fans. And, and this isn't about one way to be. Like, fans watch the team for many different reasons. I don't watch the Knicks strictly because, like, I want them to win a title someday or even because I mostly want them to win a title one day. But I do want them to win a title one day. So in the recap I wrote today, I touched on the issue of, like, maybe Randall's not someone you want to trade. Like, maybe looking at what he can do, especially with the addition of Brunson, you see that, like, when you put better players around better players, often those players tend to play better. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of people were still arguing like they would trade Randall for Cam Johnson and a couple of firsts because that's going to get you pieces towards a title. I'm just curious in your fandom specifically, like, do you watch the Knicks because I want, I'm here to see this team win a title and I want to see whatever moves get made to make that happen? Do you think it's possible that Randall could be someone that you hold on to and in some other way – improve the team around and i don't think anyone thinks randall should be the best player on a title team but if randall's a nick five years from now like i think that could be i don't know a good thing i'm asking you a lot of questions let me just try to center it on this one you're a nick fan you've seen randall you know what he can do we all know what the flaws are where do you fall on julius randall like do you do you want to keep watching this man do what he does and see what the team can do around him? Or do you feel like this really is as good as it's going to get, you know, sell while he's high? I love that question. Um, And it's kind of different than anything that anybody's ever asked me because it's something I think about a lot. Um, In terms of the, like the fandom element, it's definitely changed um, as I've started to kind of analyze it game to game in a way that I obviously wasn't when I was, you know, I guess more than three years ago when I started doing this on, on Twitter and everything. Um, and you, I, I find myself more and more being so much more compelled and interested in the game to game analysis and development and strategy and I find that conversation like infinitely more interesting than, but how can they win a title? Um, yes. And that's not to say that it's not an interesting conversation to have. And I, I will get to, and, and the answer to your question, I think relates directly to how do you win the title? Um, yeah. But, but I find myself like, okay, this is the game in front of me. There's a lot of really fascinating things going on in this game in front of me. I want to figure out everything that I can about the, that game. Like, I don't, I, you know, like who could be here, who's not here, who should be here, who's, and it even even goes to rotations because I, I am, and I'm very focused. I, I, I care about the rotations. I think it's really important. And yet I find myself, just like I'm being honest about it, I find myself like, but I, 
uh, this is these are this is the guys that I'm actually watching. So let's like think about what they're doing because that's what's in front of mm-hmm. me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, should Deuce McBride be playing? I'm not sure, and like I'm not sure there's really a good NBA player there. Maybe there is, but I do know that I've seen like true development in the last three four games in terms of getting into the paint and making a pass. Mm-hmm. It's simple. It's a small development. Now, is he a piece on a championship team? I don't know. Probably not. Um, maybe. We'll see. I'm not sure he shoots it well enough, and I, I'm not sure he's elite enough on defense to kind of make up for it. But, man, I've loved watching, like, the small development piece that I've seen the last week. Right? So, like, it's just, like, kind of a window in, like, where I'm thinking, yes, I'm watching these games, not necessarily uh, much of an analysis of it. And that kind of addresses your first point. Um, as to Randall, um, I struggle to see – I struggle to see his role and him fitting on a team in which he's, let's say, the third best player and maybe the second best player. (laughs) And it's actually more from a defensive standpoint than an offensive one. Because I think if you have better stars than him on your roster to create offense, the ability to be flexible – and switchable defensively around that star is more important than like the ancillary offensive skills he'd provide. Mm. Like a lot of his value right now for the Knicks is tied up into that. He can do the star things that nobody else can do, or at least approximate them. He draws attention. He draws doubles. He makes the pass. He's he, he can create shots, which are things that most of the Knicks can't do. And so it's extremely valuable. But if you have a player on the roster who does it better than him, Yep. And now you're asking him to like kind of be a spot up guy and occasionally maybe run a second unit or run a few possessions here and there out of the post. But now I have to deal with his defensive issues. And maybe I just rather get Cam Johnson, for example, at the four who can make threes and be switchable and a little bit more malleable defensively. Right. So like that's where I bump up against it a little bit in terms of Randall's like long-term fit. Um, but not to say it's impossible and teams are always, every team is different. I, you know, the, the conversation of what does a title team look like? I think there's some takeaways and there's some similarities if you look at all of them, but there's also like idiosyncrasies and variety within those champions or championship level teams. And you can build them in a lot of different ways and there's no one model. And so I, I'm not writing it off, but like, if you're asking me if I think, I would bet on him being that not well, chances are, you know, it's only one of three teams that win a championship, but like, do I think it's like more likely or that, that he can be that person? I, I, I bump up against it a little bit. Yeah. Makes sense. And um, touching on the Knicks, having another four who doesn't provide a ton of defense, um, a topic of discussion that's come up, especially the last couple of games, is um you know Obi Toppin I think he had he's scored you know um twenty five points over twenty minutes in the last two games. So he's, he's not getting a lot of minutes, but he's been shooting the ball well and creating a lot on offense. I think last game uh and again I don't think people are calling for his minutes to come at the expense of Randall. Um and I think in the last game, you know, Isaiah Hardenstein obviously made one of the plays of the season. If I can risk being so dramatic um, with the block on Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) Oh, no, that's uh, no question. And not just this season, like the next season. And he deserves credit. And and give him credit for continuing the battle, uh, you know, even though he hasn't been in the greatest situation. Um, But, you know, Jericho Sims hasn't looked particularly great either of those games. And on nights when Obi is shooting that well. uh, And then the night before, you also had, you know, or not the night before, the game before against Cleveland. Before Cleveland, you had Evan Fournier getting 21 minutes. 
when he shot 29% from three. I think Schwinn actually brought this up on our last pod, and this was stunning to me. Obi's shooting 36% from three at a pretty high volume. Fournier's actually shooting only 31%. I'm not saying Obi's a better shooter than Fournier, but if, if we can't even do that better than Obi, does it make sense to play Obi even he could have played at the three, he could have played at the five over Sims? Like... You know, do you think there's because I, you know, you, again, you're you usually are pretty measured. I know you don't grade Tibbs because you know he's obviously looking at a lot more stuff than we are. But um, you know, do you think there's some merit to that? And do you think that you know, especially with Mitch out, there is kind of an impetus to to get Obi more involved, especially when he's, he's shooting the ball well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> not only, and not only, not you know, there there are a lot there are a lot of different ways to have the Obi Toppin conversation. Um. And I think in two different ways, the answer is yes. Number one, because he's playing well. And when he's playing well, he should play more because he's he's playing like one of the best seven Knicks on, and he should get more than 10 minutes. Um, and I think it helps Randall when he plays more than 10 minutes. And like, even, so like, that's the conversation of should he be playing, if he's just playing for Julius Randall, should he be playing more like 13 or more like 10? I think the answer is 13. I think that benefits both him and Randall. I think... Um, a lot of the late game Randall stuff that we've seen, whether it be free throws or a failure to get a rebound and we criticize him. And I think you have to look at the minutes that he's putting in and the amount of time he plays in the second half and wonder if he's just freaking exhausted at the end of these games. Um, so I think playing Obi more than 10 minutes is a good decision on a basketball game to game level. Then there's the conversation of like, where is this team and who is this player? He's the eighth pick. He, uh, you made an investment when you used a huge asset on him, a really important asset on him, and to for three years now put him in a situation where he's been unable to um, both show his value and develop, I think is a tremendous demerit on the entire front office, coaching staff, anybody involved in making those decisions. I think it's fairly inexcusable, and it's even more inexcusable last season when Randall stunk. So, you know, this year, at least Randall's playing well. So maybe there's some excuse, but like last season was a joke. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unequivocally, the answer to those is, is yes to both of those questions. And, and from a um, schematic perspective, how can they make that yeah. work? You know, him at the five, him at the three, you know, what, um, you know, obviously when Mitch is here, it becomes less um, enticing, but yeah, like, you know, defensively, I know how would you change the coverages maybe to hide them or to help them out or, on the glass yeah. and all that. Yeah. So if we're getting off of like the 10 to 14 minute conversation and now we're talking about like, can we get him to 20? Sorry, yeah. And I didn't mean to yeah, rush that, you through it. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. I appreciate you getting me back on track. So yeah, so that'll that'll require some 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 juggling and figuring out. I, I, I think it should be matchup dependent. I'm not sure last night if putting him at the five against Allen slash Mobley would have worked. <laughs> I think you're probably going to get bludgeoned on the glass in that scenario. So I don't necessarily think that was the worst decision, but against the Toronto who was playing a bunch of six, nine guys, um, not that, and they're also a tough rebounding team. It's not, you know, it's not always just based on height, but nonetheless, I think you could have, you could have found some time there for Ovi at the five and, and yeah, don't play drop. You could switch pretty liberally and see how it goes. I think both Randall and Ovi are pretty good in those switch scenarios. They're not great, but they're pretty good. And I think they haven't had enough chances to show it. Randall more and more has this season. I think OB generally hasn't been switching those 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 plays, and I think he should. And I think if you're going to play drop with those two guys, you're going to get killed. You're just going to get killed because neither of them even take away the paint when they drop. So drop is worthless. So so get to the level, be aggressive, blitz some screens, and rely on your backside help. 
it would help if you had Cam Reddish as a big wing to support those kinds of lineups, but here we are. You know, one, I think one of the challenges with going small right now is not just that um, Obi and Randall don't protect the rim necessarily. It's also that your, your surrounding guard guards are small, are small, right? Like three of the four quote unquote, you know, guards or wings that you play are Brunson, IQ, Grimes, and, um, and Deuce. And those guys are all fairly small for their position. Um, and then RJ is the only sort of big wing, but RJ hasn't played like a big wing really a lot this year. And so He's like, not I much think of an event more... generator, right? So, right, exactly. And like, I, I, you worry like, so Cam Reddish is the perfect answer to kind of that question, but he apparently is not an answer to any question right now, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason. So you're kind of, st- I, I do understand the hesitancy to go small, but I think there are matchups in which you should do it. Um, and I think that, yeah, like a lot of teams now are, sorry. A lot of teams now are getting more. I lost you guys. See there? I'm there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. A lot of teams are getting more creative in terms of playing bigs together more often. Like, man, yeah, you can get OB at the three here and there. Go for it. Like against bench units, especially. Like. Yeah. 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 And if, go if crazy. you have more, Isaac Okoro out there, you can probably hide OB on him. Hundred percent. Exactly right. Like, or freaking mm. Laurie Markkinen played the three a lot, like last couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that OB could too. So it does take a little bit of obviously, like that's a the way I've kind of summarized it recently is like I don't think there is a scenario where Tibbs, Randall, and OB are in the same organization and all three are thriving. It's impossible. Yeah. It's an it's it's just not it's not a fit between coach position players philosophy like it just doesn't fit and so somebody we are where we are go. i give obi a ton of credit for finding in it in himself the last couple of games to make that big of an impact in 10 minutes is really hard and you know for the situation he's been put in unfortunately i give him a ton of credit for getting back to himself and being that burst of energy to be super valuable even in 10 minutes which he's you know he still can do and yeah, I mean, you can tell the work he's put in on his jump shot too, just between oh, yeah. even his rookie season and now. Um, you know, you touched on kind of the off-ball players and being able to, you know, pay off hedges and traps and, and all that. Um, so I now I will get to Schwinn's question, which, you know, something I think we've all kind of wondered. You know, it's partly, you know, Thibodeau's scheme is kind of conservative, but the Knicks don't generate a lot of turnovers or deflections and all of that. Do you think that is there are schematic things they can do to increase that? Is it just the players on the roster? Do you think that, I mean, he had a guy like, Luol, he's had Luol Deng and Jimmy Butler, and yet, you know, his team's always kind of played that way. Are, the things, are there things the Knicks could do to make that happen? Because I think especially at a small ball lineup, you know, I think realistically Randall and Obi could give a lot more effort on the glass and still get killed on it, to your point. So one way teams, you know, even that out is to get into transition, right? And, and play five out and, and play semi-transition. Do you think there's schematic things they can do, whether they go small or not, to kind of bump up those numbers? Because they have some um, they have some interesting transition players. Yeah, um, I do. I think you're right to say that it's a conservative scheme. And Tibbs... You know, there's like incentives based on how your coach <laughs> reacts to things. I think Tibbs can deal with, the, you know, you can watch him on the sideline and, and, and learn a lot in terms of what he cares about, right? So like <laughs> pick and pop bigs, hit a three, 
he barely reacts. He just doesn't even care. Like he is literally willing to concede a Vucevic can hit seven threes. And he like, <laughs> it's like philosophically, he's like, you knock yourself out. Like maybe if it's cat, maybe if it's, maybe if it's cat, he's concerned and like, he'll, he'll change the scheme, but like it takes a lot. And, and I don't know if he's wrong. Cause there aren't like even a Vooch, like, more often than not, he's not going to kill you out there. Like he does so once in a while, but like you play the percentages. It's not the craziest idea to kind of treat it that way. If you see a guy gamble and miss, Tibbs loses his crap, right? So like you can kind of see, you can literally watch him and understand where his like what his values are. And he is conservative by nature on defense. He wants you to stay in position, be in a constant help position, and be in constant rebounding position. He does not want to sacrifice positioning for a gamble. Right. Like that is just his philosophy. Is it wrong? Is it right? He's had a lot of good defenses in his time. I think overall the Knicks defense has been good this year. It slipped a bit of late. I think that's largely Mitch, you know, a Mitch thing. Um, he's built a lot of good defenses. So I don't know if it's right or wrong. I think there are things you could do definitely without Mitch. I think trying to amp up ramp and, and by the way, play, again, playing Cam Reddish, who does create events. I mean, even when he played for tips, he created events. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's out of the rotation for all I know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think you can definitely ramp up the ball pressure, which they did a little bit in the second half against Cleveland last night. And I think you can be more aggressive at the level. They really very rarely blitz screens. They did it a little bit with Sims last season and they haven't gone to it this year. I think it's a really good thing for Sims to be able to do. He's so athletic and he's, and his first step is so quick. I kind of like him jumping on those screens and relying on your help behind. Again, the downside there is the help behind is small right now. And I think that's kind of, that plays into all of these decisions where maybe he's not as willing to go there, but that's one thing you can definitely do. Um, Otherwise, I, I do think a part of it also um, is that RJ and, and Julius, I don't care what team they're on, they're not going to be event creators on defense, uh, and they play the most minutes. Brunson draws charges, so I guess that's event creation, but otherwise too small to really create much of events. So it's partially who you're playing. But yeah, I, I think generally being a bit more encouraging about like going for steals probably would help, and I don't think that's going to happen. And then schematically, you can definitely ramp things up a little bit, uh, be a bit more in deny, be a bit more uh, aggressive on screens to try to generate some more turnovers. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I, I've been begging for the Knicks to get a wing like Cam. If uh, if not, um, if not, if it's not going to work out with him, um, so I, I think that's a pretty good point. Um, I also have another question. I know we're close to time, Matt, and I, I know you, you probably have a couple other questions too, but this is probably the most important question I got to ask. Um, what got into you on February 9th, 2015, when you dropped 31 on Montclair State? <laughs> and we hate Montclair State on this pod. So Are you like, seriously? I actually do have an ex that went to Montclair State. So <laughs> That's why we hate Montclair State. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was feeling it. Second half, I went off, man. Man, I went off. I uh, and I should have. I got. I I remember it. I made. I had one four point play, and I thought I should have had two more because I thought two dudes undercut wow. me as I got going, and they didn't call it. And I made three anyway. And the crazy thing about that game is, um, we ran a little inbounds play where I inbounded, I got the ball back, and I made a jumper from the foul line to go uh, to tie with like five seconds left. And Montclair inbounded, 
went right by all of our team and made a layup at the buzzer. So we lost. It's oh. <laughs> the worst way to lose. I can never remember. Thanks that for sounds, memory, that sounds like Jalen Brunson's life for most of the season. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, yeah, it felt like that. It was brutal. I did. Yeah, it was. It sucked. I fell down on the play somehow getting back, trying to get back on defense. And from the floor, I watched a dude literally have an uncontested layup to win. Oh, God. Thanks and for that, Stacey. To Appreciate reach out, to reach the goal. I, I thought to, to, to give our, fam, uh, our fans just the full context about how much of a hooper Benji is. Uh, 37 <laughs> minutes. I got the stats right here. I, I do my research. 37 minutes. He shot a blistering seven for 14 from three. His whole team went eight for 19. So hitting all but one of his team's threes, 31, three, three rebounds, one assist, one block. Oh, I, wasn't, sure. I wasn't passing. I wasn't passing that night. Absolutely not. <laughs> no one can blame you. Um, I'm sure you remember the block too. Um, but um, I do. A dude at the foul line tried to hit a turnaround on me. I just stuffed him. <laughs> Don't get out. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, that doesn't definitely doesn't seem like it was your fault. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that must uh, that must have been when you're on a heater like that in a game. I'm sure it's uh, it's a pretty ridiculous feeling, right? Just uh, from the zone sick. and all that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Then you want to win though. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> Happens. He basically had Luca's whole career like in one night. <laughs> except yeah. except when he gets if, if Benji was allowed to intentionally miss a free throw and then get the rebound, <laughs> it could have worked out differently, right? So, oh, gosh. Let me get you out of here on, on this question, Ben, and then we'll let you go. Um, as a professor who hates grades, and I literally don't assign them all semester because that's how much I hate them. Uh, Do you agonize over no. like will you wake up at four in the morning and be like, I should have given no, him a, a no, B, B no. minus Okay. The amount, <laughs> the amount of feedback I get on it, you'd think I do, because like people get so mad at me. Um yes, that's very much like being a professor. Which is, which is fine. Uh yeah, no, honestly, here's what I, my process is. I finish the game, I, I try to watch it closely, and then I I put the grades in and then before I um actually insert them i look at this box score just to make sure that i didn't miss like oh wait that dude was like plus 19 and i just like kind of didn't realize it so he couldn't have been that damaging um but the most i'll adjust it after my first observation is like uh i'll change a b to a b plus or b minus like only one one like because i think you know i trust my general observation and then i put it out into the ether and get yelled at for a full day it's great (laughs) great stuff Right, I gotta take over for my Andy guys. I gotta run. So, but. yeah, yeah. Thank you so Excellent. much, man. Quickly, do you want to tell people where they can find you and anything you want to plug? Thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for being here. So that will be that will be it, pretty much, for this episode of Believe Next podcast. The Knicks still have this week. Uh, a couple games coming up. They are next playing Thursday night at Boston. And then Saturday night, they will be in Brooklyn. Uh, Kevin Durant still not back for that one. Um, and then next week, things toughen up. They have a four-game homestand against the Lakers. Big game against the Heat, the Clippers, and the 76ers. So, Stacey, quite a bit of, of yeah, did big you difficulty see, coming up. Did you see the NBA two-minute report? And, of course, Stefan Bondi, of, of course. I hate that shit so much. So you saw the two-minute report? So, first of all, when Scotty Barnes literally grabs RJ's shoulder and pulls him down on a dunk, like RJ's oh, yeah. too strong, that's not a foul. Now they said Hartenstein's play was a block or was a foul on Mitchell, the one that won the game. Yeah. Uh, the thing is this, right? I, in real time, I was like, I'm surprised they didn't call it a foul because Hardenstein's arm does go down. But 
He doesn't contact Mitchell. And the thing is, and like also Mitchell flies into his chest. So a few people made this point that okay, you're not supposed to go down with your arm, but if you if you just run, if you spear me in the, I'm not saying Mitchell was spearing him, but there's gonna be contact, right? And Mitchell, by virtue of size, is going to hit him in the midsection. You're then you're like you're not you're not the Statue of Liberty just gonna stand up. You're gonna go like this, and uh, and he didn't touch him. So uh, I think that um, so I mean I think that the two minute report. Is uh, is a load of crap. I think as we saw. And, I mean, I think when they said that. I mean, I'm sure you remember that picture of RJ just with Barnes literally on his shoulder, right? Like, there's, yes. there's that. How is that not a foul, right? And they said, well, I, it didn't thought live was a, I thought it was a foul live. I don't understand at all the rationale of it didn't stop. It didn't affect him from making the shot, so it doesn't count. If that's the case, then there's no more three point plays anywhere because as long <laughs> as the players, yes. if you're able to make the shot then you're able to make i, I didn't under, i didn't understand nah, you know you the know L, L reports have always bothered me because it's like fake accountability like it lets the league have its cake and eat it too the the big question from the l to me the L, l2m reports should be my god like if you have this many reports correcting referee decisions just in the last four percent of the game then you have an officiating problem yeah and if there's no action take like what is the point ever of reading it was a foul and they should have called it who does that help yeah that does nothing sorry you that's got like, that's like, yeah that's like wwe if they put out reports every week being like yeah. it's fake like, we know that but like that doesn't change anything i just hope they don't send attempted murder to uh the Secaucus, right? If somebody comes to my house and they try to shoot me in the head and it misses, and then I just go to work, they're like, "Well, you weren't materially well, impacted by by someone." Even if they hit you, face. like if they hit you and you're still able to, <laughs> I can't. I lived. I made it with a limp. Yeah, you're yeah, fine. Walk it off. It didn't, it didn't impede your ability to not die, so <laughs> it doesn't count. Whatever. I yeah. I I try to avoid L two M's because it always riles me up just for these kinds of reasons. Um. The Hardstein thing too. Did you see Mitchell's? I'm sure it's the truth, but like it was to me the most like Hardstein is just to me has this dark cloud over him all year. And it was it was very human to hear his quote um, after the game where he talked about like you know I know I'm, I'm kind of letting people down and like I want to play it better. Like he's a person. Like he he wants to do better. And you could argue that maybe the role the Knicks have put him in is not ideal. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but the guy finally has like his like his New York moment. <laughs> and Donovan Mitchell after the game is like, Yeah, my groin tightened up, this thing went wrong, my core basically like like imploded, like three like three terrible, debilitating things all happened right at that moment. And I'm like just let the man have his block shot. Come on. Like, yeah, just let the man. Come yeah, on, Mitchell. I mean, I do think he was probably hurt, and I hope he was okay. And, and you can see that he was yeah. fighting for the rebound, even from the ground. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the trade stuff is overblown. I had concerns about trading for him as a player, but, uh, you know, yeah. the heart he's shown, you know, he, he I think, you know, and he's a likable guy. Likeable. Being in the New York community and all that. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely no hard feelings against him, but um, but yeah, and hopefully this is something Hardenstein can use to turn around and all of that. But um, 
Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, and like, I'm still taking it. Like, it's still Donovan Mitchell. And I, I think on that kind of note, given what we were talking about with the scheme, what was really interesting was Julius did get beat badly by Donovan Mitchell. But he seemed to be, I don't know if Tibbs was just, was just Tibbs being conservative and play for overtime, but they've given up so many pull-up threes in that situation mm-hmm. that, um, mm-hmm. that um, the fact that Randall said, I'm going to, I'm not giving you the pull-up three. You can beat me off the dribble. And he trusted that Hartenstein would have his yes. back there. Right. Uh, and we've seen yeah. in the past that the Knicks have been burned by not doing that against guys like Kyrie. Uh, you know, that was, that was good mm-hmm. to see as well and, and give Randall credit for, for making sure he took away the three. They still did miss Karis LeVert on that offensive rebound because Barrett tried to get the rebound and didn't get it. Um, so I'm glad that they kicked it out to Mobley instead of – but um, but it's progress. And, you know, I, I don't think this is a team that's particularly good at closing games. We could talk for a whole pod about what the reasons are why. I actually think that's missed opportunity to get Benji's thoughts on it because I think there's a debate mm-hmm. about how much of it is, you know, these are just close games and there's going to be randomness versus, you know, if there's things that specifically to this team are going to – make them do worse in those games than you'd expect. But, um, but yeah. I think the, I wrote about this a bit after the loss to Toronto. Like I am now of the camp that I think some of it is Thibodeau specific. Some of it is like the way that he chooses to approach the game as a coach trends his team toward, I think more of those outcomes, even though there is a general, um, like you said, like a general, it's going to happen. It's a general randomness. The league tends to play, you know, almost every game seems to come down to there's four, three or four minutes left and let's see what happens. But there are absolutely qualities of Thibodeau's beliefs and Thibodeau's practices that I think put the Knicks in those situations more than they would otherwise be. I don't know if that's completely like a, a problem. Um, cause I think Tom Thibodeau, um, has some idea what he's doing and maybe a different coach wouldn't end up in so many late and close games where the team struggles, but maybe that same coach would lose more games. Um, I I don't know, but I I think to your question of like, why does it seem to happen so much? I think, uh, I think a lot of that is Thibodeau. Um, We can spend another hour on that uh, (laughs) the next time that we pod, but that is it for today's episode. Um, I want to thank everyone for being with us. Please remember, the Believe Next Pod is presented by Bet Online. It is also presented by Stacy and I, and on this occasion, Ben Ritholtz. Um, so, we're great, again, grateful to Ben for being here. We will probably talk to you. I am guessing probably after the Brooklyn game. Um, but everybody, take care till then. Stay tuned and uh, go Knicks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.